Good morning, Lincoln Avenue. Open up your Bibles to the Gospel of Mark, uh, the Gospel that we have been traveling through the last six months or so. We're going to be in chapter 12 this morning, the Gospel of Mark chapter 12. Uh, Welcome again to our all-church service. If you are here this morning and you are connected in a faith relationship with Jesus Christ, if you have come to a point in your life where you've seen your sin and you've seen the glory of Jesus and you have repented of your sin and put your faith in Him, then the Bible says that you are a member of what could be called the universal church. In other words, you are joined together with every believer across the globe into one giant family of God. So that's where it kind of all begins on a large scale. Now, most of you here this morning are a member of what we could be called the local church or Lincoln Avenue Baptist Church. We are kind of gathered together under uh, one set of uh, pastors, under one budget, under one mission, under one kind of philosophy of the way that we do things, under one doctrine. Uh, That's who we are as Lincoln Avenue Baptist Church. And then from there, we are divided into four different worship services by which we gather together on a regular basis to hear the Word of God and to express our praise to Jesus Christ and to love one another well. And from there, we're divided again into different Sunday school classes and finally into about 14 or 15 small groups in which we uh, seek to build close Christ-centered relationships. And so this is a great picture today of the church. This is kind of a different look than you normally get. Most of you get uh, the the four-service look on Sunday and then probably your small groups on Sunday night. Uh, But this is who we are uh, as as, as a gathered body of believers in Woodward, Oklahoma on one mission. So we value these times kind of like family reunion, uh, except without the softball. Uh, but that's kind of what this is twice a year, uh, a chance for us to get together and, and see each other, kind of renew old relationships, worship together as a body. And we found that to be an important part of who we are as a church. Uh, Mark chapter 12 is where we're at today. Mark chapter 12. We're going to be reading verses 38 through 44 this morning. And in his teaching, he said, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces and have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. And many rich people put in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called the disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we give you praise today. You are the glorious God of the universe. Jesus, you are our Savior and our Redeemer. It is in you that we have righteousness. It is in you that we have forgiveness. It is in our connection with you that we have salvation. And Lord, we praise you today. And we thank you for the family of God. We thank you for for birthing us to new life and and drawing us together into this family. Father, I pray that, that we would with one voice glorify our God and Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. 
Father, we ask today that by your Holy Spirit you would open our hearts. Uh, Father, I believe this is one of those passages that, that we desperately need to hear. And it's one of those passages that we're, we're apt to be blind to. And so, Lord, we need your Holy Spirit this morning to show us if, if this is us. And Father, we pray that you would bring repentance. We pray that our allegiance would be to you and to you alone. For you are worthy. Father, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you look at uh, this passage of Scripture in both the Gospel of Mark and both and, and the Gospel of Luke, what you're going to find is they're, they're connected in both Gospels. So in Mark and Luke, uh, he, he writes these two stories. One is of, of a condemnation of the scribes and one is of the widow and her offering. And in both the Gospel of Mark and, both, and the Gospel of Luke, he puts them side by side. The writers put them side by side. And, and, and as I looked at that at the beginning of the week, I thought, you know, the Holy Spirit has to have a purpose of that. And so I begin to think, what is the connection between these two passages? What's the connection? between a bunch of scribes and, and kind of religious leaders who are all about themselves and this widow who, who gives incredibly lavishly and generously of all that she has uh, to the Lord. And obviously there's a couple of connections that, that pop out right away. Uh, one of them is that there's widows in both passages. In, in the first passage of the scribes, one of the characteristics of these guys is that they take advantage of widows. They, 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 they manipulate widows in such a way to try to get money from them for their own selfish purposes. And in the second passage, you've got a widow who is giving generously to the Lord. And so you have widows in both passages. I, I really believe the connection goes further than that. What I would say this morning is the connection between these two passages is is a form of contrast, okay? So, so the, these are on different spectrums, if you will. One is, one is as far as you can go this way, and the other is, is almost as far as you can go that way. I, I think that's what the picture is. In the first passage, you have a group of people who on the outside look like they have it all together. Okay, so, so that's the first passage. You, you have a group of men, at least it seems to be men, who, who, who look like they're, they're offering great things to God. They've got it all together. They're dressed right. They're, they're, they're saying the right things. They're praying the right prayers. They're, they're, everybody looks up to them. They, they've convinced everybody that they are the spiritual ones. And so from the outside, they look like they have it all together. But on the inside, they're actually confirming their reservation for hell. Okay, so on the outside... Looks like they have it all together on the inside, completely spiritually bankrupt, okay? Now, in the second passage, you have a woman who on the outside looks like she's got nothing to offer. In the Jewish temple, there was a special court. It was called the court of the women. And that's where they would give their offerings. That's where everybody would come. If you were coming to be a worshiper, you would go to the court of the women at some point, And you would go along a long wall. And there would be 13 kind of trumpet-shaped metal uh, canisters, containers. And you would give your offering in one of those 13 kind of trumpet-shaped containers. Now, in that day, there wasn't any cash money, no paper money. It was all, it was all coins, okay? So what you had was you had had some wealthy folks who would come up and when they gave their offering it sounded like somebody hit the jackpot at Caesar's palace you know I mean it's ching 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 you know it's kind of a big show people would be drawn attention to it they, they would see and notice man that person gave a lot okay but here you've got this widow you've got this lady who's got no means to support herself probably no job you got this person with no social status no no influence no leadership nobody probably even knows her name 
And she comes up in just a couple small, the smallest currency of that time. Two coins didn't even equal a penny. Clink, clink. Nobody even notices except for Jesus. And Jesus calls his disciples and says, right there it is. Look at that. This gal's got it on on the inside. She, she's got it going spiritually. She may not look like much on the outside, but she is pleasing to God on the inside. I believe that's the contrast of these two passages. Now, notice how Jesus begins in verse 38. He begins his teaching by saying, beware, okay? Now, that's a strong word. Uh, beware is a word that means look, okay? That's literally in the Greek language. It's, it's, it's the Greek word that means look. It means, man, attention. there's something here you've got to be aware of. There's something here that you've got to be cautious of. There's something here that can damage you severely and and eternally. Okay? We put signs up in our yards. Well, we don't do this uh, at home because our dog's probably not capable of a lot of damage. But a lot of people put signs up in in their yard. Beware of dog. Or, you know, beware of the, you know, basically what that means is there's something in here that can really harm you and you need to be careful of it. And Jesus is telling us here, there is a great danger in our lives of being the type of people who look like they have it together on the outside. It's it's a huge danger to be the kind of person that you've convinced everybody in this church. You've convinced everybody in your family. You've convinced your wife, your kids. Everybody thinks that you've got it all going on on the inside with God. But in reality, in reality, you're spiritually bankrupt. Jesus says, beware of that. Be careful of that. It's worth our taking taking some time and attention this morning to say, man, is this me? Could this be me? Am I in danger of this? I need to beware of this kind of brand of self-righteousness that finds our righteousness in manipulating what other people think of me. We need to be careful of, of, of having the kind of righteousness that depends on what do you think of me? We, we need to be careful of being a fake, a fraud, a phony, of the kind of hypocrisy that we present ourselves in one way while actually we are really very different on the inside. We need to be aware of working so hard to put on a facade to convince everybody that we're a certain type of person that we really forget to take care of the real issue of our soul. What an, what an incredible danger. What an incredible danger to be caught up In an all-consuming question, all the time, every day, what do people think of me? You know, I really believe that there's a lot of folks that that question dominates their entire life. It dominates when they get up in the morning. It dominates their their time at work. It dominates their time at church even. It dominates their faith. There's this constant pervasive question in their life. What do do people think of me? Have I convinced them? What do I look like? Am I doing a good job? Do I have their approval? Friends, that's a dangerous thing to, to exalt that question so high in your life. Especially in the presence of Jesus Christ. I know I keep talking about this, but I'm really excited about it. But in exactly two weeks, okay, two weeks, Em and I, when when you guys meet for worship in two weeks, we will be headed down the Grand Canyon. We'll be headed down the south slope on the west side of the Grand Canyon, okay? We'll be headed down on Sunday, backpacking 10 miles into into this remote waterfall that you can only get there by hiking. It's called Havasu Walls, okay? Now, what would it say about me, friends? What would it say about me is if we hike down in the bottom? 
bottom of the Grand Canyon, and we've got thousands of foot of, of red rock cliffs up above us, and we're standing in the front of a hundred-some foot waterfall, what would it be like if my only question as we're down there is, hey, Emma, 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 what do you think of me? You know, what do you think? What do you think of me? If I stand like this by the falls, what do you think of do I, do I am I, am I this side or this side? Huh? What do you think of my beard, huh? Should, should I shave it back to a goatee? And you know, does my hairline what, what do you think of me, Em? You know, she's trying to take pictures of the falls and hey, what do you think of me, honey? You know, I mean tell me, tell me about your love for me, hun. I mean I mean what would that say about me if in the presence of something grand, all I can think about is hey, what, what about me? Brad and Amy Chase, members of our congregation, had their, their, their baby this week. Uh, excited for them. Very healthy baby. As far as I know, I haven't got to see him yet. But uh, what if, what if the story of that delivery was that baby is born and the doctor cleans it up a little bit and hands it to Brad. You know, here's this dad that is just standing, you know, with his, his newborn baby in his hands. And, and what if he looks over to his wife and says... Hey, honey, do you think I'm cute? <laughs> you see, obviously, that's, there's something wrong there, isn't there? I mean, there's something wrong with people that that's their question. How much more, my friends? Okay, j- just magnify this. Magnify this. How much more as we come together as the, the redeemed people of God, as we stand in the presence of God Almighty and we sing songs about His majesty and we exalt His greatness and we stand in the presence of the One who has pursued us, of the One who gave His life that we might have life, of the One who, who is our righteousness, who is our redemption. How, how sick is it if we stand in the presence of the glorious Jesus and all we can think about is how I might maneuver things to make myself look good. Jesus says, beware of that. Man, be careful of that. There's something really damaging there. There's something really sick there. When, when, when that is your life, that is what you live for. That is the goal of your life, is manipulating the circumstances and maneuvering around people and trying to work the angles so that you look good. You know, most of the, the disagreements even in churches, most of the conflicts in churches, this is a shameful thing. Most of them have to do with somebody getting their feelings hurt, don't they? I mean, isn't that odd? That is, you know, uniquely, who are we as a people of God? We're, we're the people that gather together to exalt the name of Jesus, who gather together to, to worship the glorious Son of God. We're standing in the presence of God Almighty. And how, How broken is it if all that's on people's mind is, how dare they not give me the glory? How dare I not get this? Or how dare someone else or that person or this? Friends, there's something really broken about that. Look at Jesus' description here. In the gospel of, of Mark, of, of these guys, it starts in verse 38. He says, beware of the scribes, first of all, who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplace and have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts, who devour widows' house for a pretense, make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. Jesus, first of all, describes them as people who like to be looked at. Okay. First of all, they're like, they like to be looked at. They intentionally wear things. And in this day and age, these, these scribes wore 
these long prayer shawls, the, these white. They were a different color than, than everybody else wore in town. And so they would wear these unique kind of prayer shawls that let people know, hey, I'm a religious guy. I'm praying today. I'm praying. You know, it's almost like the equivalent would be if you, if you walked around your workplace tomorrow with a sign around your neck that said, please don't disturb me deep in prayer. You know, hey, no questions today. Don't bother me with the copy machine. I'm, I'm in prayer. You know, I'm a prayer. Me and God, you, I, I, I'm a special prayer guy here. Okay. They, they, they wanted to be looked at. They wanted to be talked about. Notice it says, that, here's the things they love. They, they love their long robes. They love the greetings in the marketplace. They love for people to, to, to speak to them reverently and with honor. Hey, Mr. So-and-so, Reverend, please don't call me Reverend. Please don't, don't do that at all. Jason is my name. If you'd like to call me your pastor, I, that's fine. I, I like the name pastor. I think that's what I am as a pastor. But I'm not a reverend, okay? That's Jesse Jackson. You've probably seen him on TV. He is that. I am not that at all. Uh, I don't want to be that. And so don't call me that if, if you will. Um, but they, they like those, those terms of, of, of importance. They like the best seats. Notice that. They, they want to be prominently positioned in, in, in public places. They, they, they wanted to be looked at and seen as important. And then, then this is the worst one of all. Okay, they, they, they pray long prayers for a pretense. I looked up the word pretense in the dictionary. It says an attempt to make something that is not the case appear true. Okay? It's basically creating a facade is what it is. It's creating a smoke screen. It's creating something that's not true to try to give the impression that something is true. And friends, let me tell you, there's a lot of reasons that we should pray. Let me list a couple of them. Okay? You ought to pray because you are made to praise God. Okay, you, you're, you're made for that. that. That's why you're created. You are created for the glory of God. You are created to lift up and exalt and, 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 and image the creator God. That's why you exist. And so a, a great reason to pray is because God has created you to praise and he is worthy of praise. You ought to pray to express gratitude. You, you, ought, to, you ought to say, God, thank you for dumping your riches into my life. You ought to pray to confess your sins. Okay, God has given you a means by the blood of Jesus that you might be right with him. And so you ought to regularly and continually come to God in repentance, confessing, God, you're right. I'm a wretch. What I did was wrong. God, forgive me of my sins. Cleanse me of your blood and empower me by the Holy Spirit to live a righteous life. You ought to pray to confess your sins. You ought to pray to engage the power of the Holy Spirit in your life and the life of your your family, your children, your parents, your your brothers, your sisters, your church, your friends. You, You ought to pray for victory over temptation. You ought to realize that prayer is the trigger that releases the power of the Holy Spirit into our lives. Folks, there's all kinds of reasons to pray, but let me tell you why you should not pray. You should not pray in order that other people would think a certain thing about you. Man, I tell you, we we worry way too much about the words that we say in prayer and way too little about what's actually going on on the inside. Let let, let me tell you, folks, and I, I say this all the time to people, I don't, I don't know, as long as you come reverently, okay, I'm just not convinced that God cares whether you use good grammar and punctuation, okay? I'm just not convinced God is the grammar police, okay? That's why we have Michelle. Michelle corrects our grammar. God is just concerned with your heart. Folks, these men who work so hard to portray an image of godliness, notice, notice verse 40. 
who devour widows' houses. You see, that? that's meant to kind of give you a smack, okay? It's like these guys are doing all, they, they look good. They look go so good on the outside. But on the inside, what's the greatest commandment? Hey, we just looked at that last week, didn't we? Greatest commandment is what? Love God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, now, now in, in, in the Bible, who, who's your neighbor? Well, it's who's ever in need. In Jesus' day, who was always in need? It was the widow. But these guys, their heart is so broken that you, when they look at the widow, you know what they say? Hey, there's some easy prey. I bet we can manipulate her to give a little bit more to our cause. Things look good on the outside. Things are desperately broken on the inside. I think what the heart of this is, is a desire to be worshipped and not to worship. You know, I don't know that any of us would ever describe ourselves that way. We all know we got stuff, right? <laughs> we, we got, we got hang-ups, right? I mean, if... If, if we were to, if we were to say, all right, who, you know, whoever struggles with their temper, raise their hand, you know, some of you, yeah, I mean, we would, right? You'd, so there's a lot of you to raise your hand. Some of you, your family would raise your hand for you. They'd get over and go, you know, you know, if we said, you know, hey, who struggles with their money? You know, who struggles just being a good steward? And some of you'd be like, gosh, yeah, it's me, man. I struggle with that. You know, if we, if we even said, hey, who struggles with who struggles with things like lust or, you know, pride, you know, yeah. Yeah, I mean, we, we, we would have people raise their hands in this congregation. But I wonder if we said, who struggles with wanting to be worshipped? I wonder, I, I, bet, I bet nobody would raise their hand. But you know what the reality is? When, 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 when the thoughts of your heart and mind are consumed with, what do people think of me? Did I do good? Honey, was that a good sermon? Kids, was it a good sermon? On a scale of 1 to 10, okay? How good was it? Based from last week to this week, what, 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 do, you think, what do you think everybody, what, what do you think they said? When, when they were leaving, did they make any comments? I don't do that, by the way. But, you know, I mean, if I did, what, what, what is that? I, I, want people to, I want people to make much of me. That's what that is. The dangerous thing about hypocrisy, the dangerous thing about the sin of these scribes is that God is not real to the hypocrite. Okay, now, now, now we, we have to think about what I'm saying there. God, God is not real. What, what I'm, not, I'm not saying if you ask them, hey, is God real? I mean, they're going to say, yeah, of course God is real. Who do you think I'm praying to? Who do you think I'm, I'm, I'm worshiping? Why do you think I'm wearing these robes? Why do, why do you think I stand on the corner and make long prayers? Why do you think I study the Bible all the time? Of course God is real. But, but, but see, here's the deal. When, when you can sin bold-facedly and continually in the presence of God, that's a sign. He's not very real to you. Right? I mean, it, 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 my watch is laying here. And, and, and if you could walk up, just walk up, take my watch, put it in your pocket and walk off to steal it. Not playing a joke, but like you're actually taking it. Okay, one of two things is true. <laughs> a, you, you don't believe in my presence, okay? I mean, I'm standing right here. Or B, this is probably the more likely case, there's no fear of me, at least, in your heart. 
You see, one of those two cases is always true of hypocrisy. Whenever, whenever you're, you're, you're able to, to make yourself out to be somebody, whenever you're able to, to make yourself out to be somebody at church and then you go home and you're somebody completely different, the really dangerous part of that is God evidently is not very real to you because you're doing it right in front of him. It's only in his grace that he, he's not taking you out. The dangerous thing about hypocrisy is that that the hypocrite doesn't feel any sense of being exposed. You ever get caught? You ever, you ever get caught doing something, you know? I mean, just red-handed, man, just bam, you know? You're just caught. You know, and there, there's that shameful feeling of, I'm exposed here, you know? They caught me. I'm ashamed. But see, the hypocrite doesn't feel any shame. It, it can be one way. At one time, completely another way, at home, at work, on the rig. There's no sense of guilt over that, of being exposed, being uncovered. You see, hypocrisy is a very hard, heart-hardening thing. The hypocrite is not drawn to worship and glorify God because the hypocrite is only concerned about his own glory. Friends, the really damaging thing about this is you, you can be doing all kinds of things spiritually and religiously with absolutely no favor or grace or reward because it's done in hypocrisy. Listen to Matthew 6. I'm going to begin reading in verse 2. Thus when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogue and in the streets that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received the reward. But when you give to the needy, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your, your giving may be in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. Let me go ahead and read another one. Uh, the next verse, verse 5. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and in the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received the reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who's in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. What is Jesus saying there? Jesus is saying, look... If your heart is not to worship Jesus, then, then, then if it's to exalt yourself, then whatever you're doing, it's, it's, whatever you got, whatever pat on the back, whatever people thought of you, that's, that's all the reward you'll ever get. That's all the good it will ever do you. That's all the grace that's ever coming from that. It's over. It's done. And in fact, the very opposite is true. Verse 40. Describes the end of the hypocrite. Who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. What what does condemnation mean? Condemnation is judgment. That's God pronouncing a guilty verdict followed by the sentence of his wrath. Now now you're saying, "Well, well, wait, wait, pastor, wait. I mean, I mean, if we look at who these scribes were, these were religious people, okay? If, if you were to ask the common guy on the street, who's going to heaven? They would say, well, for sure, those guys. I mean, man, they, they spend all day walking around their prayer robes. I mean, man, they're prayer. They're religious, okay? Man, they study the script. They've got them memorized. They can quote to you Deuteronomy 6. I mean, these guys are really, they're really religious folks. 
But, but, but Jesus says these guys are condemned. The, 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 the guilty verdict has already been handed down from heaven. And they're condemned to the wrath of God unless something changes in their hearts. You know, folks, I really believe there's going to be a lot of surprises in heaven, okay? Some of them are going to be tremendously good, okay? I mean, can you imagine the family of the thief on the cross? You know, I imagine, I don't know that they would go to their their son's execution. So let's just, for the sake of of, of our sermon this morning, let's just say they didn't go, okay? So so they, 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 they mourned and wept the day that he was executed, thinking in their hearts, this guy died a wretch, this guy died a rebel, this guy died a criminal. You know, probably broken hearted that there's no way he's going to heaven. And what they didn't know was in the last moments of life, the glorious Lord Jesus said, I'll cover your sin. I'll cover it with my blood. Today you'll be with me in paradise. You know, I just wonder how many of those surprises. Isn't that going to be kind of a cool thing in heaven to say, man, God, I didn't expect that guy. You, Man, you plucked him at the last moment. Or Man, God, I, I, I just didn't expect that. But the thing that really scares me is, I wonder if there'll be a lot of surprises the other way as well. What? So-and-so's not there? Huh? Man, they were, they were religious. And they, they, they had that Bible memorized. And they could quote it to you. Boy, they, they were, they were all about Whatever. But Jesus tells us very specifically, I don't think we have this one on the screens, but Matthew chapter 7. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who's in heaven. On that day, many, many is a scary word there, friends. Many, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Cast out demons in your name? Do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me. You workers of iniquity. Hey, friends, we've got a great capacity to fool one another. You ever thought about Judas? Man, he did a good job, didn't he? I mean, there's 11 guys that lived with him day in and day out, you know, slept on the the ground in the same place, traveled together, ate meals together. They trusted him with the money. And, And 11 guys, he completely buffaloes. Even at the Last Supper when Jesus says, when are you going to betray me? They don't know who it is. They're looking over at Peter saying, Peter, man, you're always got your foot in your mouth. I bet it's you, you know? I mean, I mean they, they, they don't know. We have, a, we have a great capacity to deceive not only ourselves, but also others. Friends, it's possible to be religious and lost. It, it's, it's possible to be a spiritual looking person. And be headed for hell. It's possible to be a moral person in the eyes of the community. And be condemned to face the wrath of God forever and ever. Let me, let me, talk, let me, let me say this. I'm just going to say this because I, I hate hearing it. Okay? How do we deal with hypocrisy? How, how should we respond to that? Okay? You, know, you know how a lot of people respond to that? A lot of people respond to hypocrisy by saying, well, you know what? There's all those hypocrites in church. That's why I ain't going, you know. Uh, there, there's all those hypocrites that, you know, they're always being all religious. And that's why I don't go. Friends, let me just first of all say that makes zero sense, okay. 
I mean, let me tell you what I'm not going to do. I'm not going to go into Dr. Kirkendall's office on Monday and tell Kelly, hey, you take us out of the practice, okay? Because I saw on that news that Dr. Kermit, what a name, huh? That Dr. Kermit, who, who had a medical license and all he does is slaughter babies for cash. I tell you what, that guy is a wretch. That guy is wicked. I mean, who, who, who can spend decades, you know, using cheap, unsterile equipment and birthing life babies and then killing them and even killing them in the womb? I'll tell you what, if that's what a doctor's about, take me out. When I get sick, I'm going to the vet, you know? That's kind of silly, isn't it? Well, the answer to hypocrisy is not to say, well... Because there's hypocrites, I'm not going to church. Or because there's hypocrites, I'm going to read my Bible. Or because there's hypocrites, I'm not going to pray. Hey, listen, you know what? Newsflash, you're not the one that picked up on this hypocrite thing. Did you know that? You know, Jesus said from the very beginning, there's going to be a whole lot of people that think they're in that aren't in. There's going to be a whole lot of people that that think they're connected to me, but they aren't connected to me. They've not listened to me. They've not read my word. They've not, they've not accepted. They're all about themselves. They're not all about me. And so, hey, the hypocrisy thing is nothing new. And, and, and in fact, think about this. Look, if you're one of those people or you know one of those people that's like, you know what, I, I, I'm really a good guy and me and God, we got a deal and I'm going to go to heaven. I'm just not going to go to church because there's all those hypocrites. Basically what you're saying is, I'm okay on the inside, but I'm just not going to do anything on the outside to show that I'm okay. Hey, you're, you're, you're the same kind of hypocrite. You're just not as good at it as other people. So how should we respond? Well, we should respond, first of all, by realizing, friends, by realizing it deeply matters what's on the inside. You know, not only are these guys condemned, but notice Jesus says they'll have the greater condemnation. You see that in verse 40? It says they'll receive the greater condemnation. You know what that tells me? This, along with other passages in the Bible, tell me that not everyone's judgment in, in, in the wrath of God and in hell will be the same. Okay? Now, be careful how you react to that. Okay? Don't, don't react to that by saying, really, there's like a level one hell? You know? Man, if I can just get into level one hell, that'll be probably good enough. You know? I mean, I won't be in level five. And so, hey, hey let me tell you, condemned is condemned. Okay? Judged is judged. The wrath of God is the wrath of God. And you, you can't fathom the horrificness of it. Okay? So... So listen, level one hell is, is something to be avoided at all costs. All right, I'm not saying there is a level one. I'm just using a, you know, you know what I'm saying, okay? But, but what Jesus says here is that, that some will receive a stricter judgment. And listen, listen, those who receive a, a stricter judgment are those who had the most light and rejected it. They're those who had the greatest opportunity to know and to, and to hear the plan of God, the purpose of God, to see the glory of God and rejected it over and over again. If we go into Matthew chapter 11, we, we read about certain cities that Jesus did all kinds of miracles in. Bethsaida and Chorazon and, 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 and other cities. And here's what Jesus says. He says, woe to you Bethsaida for if the mighty works were done in you that had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more tolerable in the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to Hades, for if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you that it will be more tolerable in the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. Basically, what Jesus is saying there is that it's going to be better for the wicked cities... Who really had no opportunity to see what 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 the what, what Bethsaida and Chorazon did? 
It will be better for, for them than it will be for those who had lots of opportunity for light and rejected it. That presses upon us. What are you going to do with this, church? And there's, there's a heavy responsibility every time we hear the word of God, isn't there? We're accountable for how we respond. Okay, so let's, let's get to the good news here. Okay, so, so contrast this, contrast the scribes, contrast them with the widow. Okay, so, so here we've got verse 41, let's read it again. And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. And many rich people put in large sums and a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty has put in everything that she had. Okay? This widow re- receives no praise of men, okay? She, she drops her, her coins in. Notice Jesus doesn't call her over, okay? He calls his disciples over. So she more than likely drops her offering, goes and worships, and goes home, okay? She receives no praise of men. But Jesus says, look, man, that's the gal that God has his favor on. That's the gal that God's pouring his riches on. She gave more. You, you know what's so encouraging about that, church? Is, is that your giving is not a matter of how much you give. Your serving is really not a matter of how much you serve. Your worshiping is not a matter. It's a matter of what capacity has God given you and what are you doing with God's give, with what God's given you. If God's given you $100,000 a year, then God expects something different from you than the, than the person that God's given $5,000 a year or the person that's given God's given $10,000 or $20,000 or $50,000. The person who has great gifts in certain areas, maybe speaking or teaching, God expects more of those people than he does the, the ones who don't maybe have those gifts, those who have great gifts in service, those who've got lots of time. I tell you, this is the dangerous thing for retirement in America. You you, you know what we tell ourselves in America? We tell ourselves, I'm going to work for so long and I'm going to get to the point where I just retire. And what that means is I check out. I ain't doing nothing for nobody, you know. I'm sitting down with my magazines and my RV and I'm just going to do nothing forever till I die. You know, I think a a lot of retirees go to heaven And are not greeted with a very welcome reception. Because they they pooped off the last 10 years of their life. Sorry, I don't know if you can say that in church. They squandered the last 10 years of their life. You know why? Because God gave you something. And you're accountable for what God's given you. If it's time or if it's money or if it's talents or abilities. You're held accountable for that. And though this poor widow did not have much, the text says she gave more. Her, her penny was more than everybody else who gave. That's the way God saw it. That's the way God looked at it. In God's economy, this gal gave more. What God was really pleased at was the widow, the widow loved God more. This gal succeeded where so many others had failed. Remember the rich young ruler? We talked about him a couple weeks ago. Remember what did Jesus say to him? Hey, give up your stuff. Come follow me. He's like, nah, I don't love you that much. I don't like you that much. My money's here. You're here. You almost made it, Jesus, but not quite. But here's, here, here's what the widow said. 
I, I know she didn't go to Lincoln Avenue Baptist Church, but if she had gone to Lincoln Avenue Baptist Church, this is what she would, what would have been in her heart. She would have wore a t-shirt that day to give her offering, and that t-shirt would have said, Jesus is greater than anything. That's what it would have said. That, that's, why, that's why she gave. That's why she gave so lavishly. A lot of people are going to ask the question, well, was she required to? No. Huh, no. Did she have to? No. What, was, was she foolish and reckless, you know, in giving that much? I don't think so. Jesus seems to be pretty proud of her, pretty happy with her. Was she giving for show? No. <laughs> no. Nobody noticed but Jesus. So why'd she give? She gave because she comes from a long line of people throughout eternity who have realized Jesus is my treasure. Got it? You got it, church? Jesus is my treasure. Remember, remember Jesus' parable in, in Matthew 13, verse 44, where he said there, there, was, there was a man who was going through a field and, and he stumbled upon a treasure and he uncovered it and he undug, dug it out of the ground. And he opened it up and wow, I mean, this was a treasure more valuable than anything he could ever imagine. And so what he does very quickly is shuts the box, puts it back in the hole, covers it up, runs back home and sells everything. In his joy, he sells it all and he takes that money money that he sold everything he's got and he buys that field he invests it all in that field so that he can have the treasure you see the widow got that she, she got it man god is my treasure and i can give it all i can i can give it all i can give it all away because christ is more to me than that i love him more he's more to me isn't that what Abraham was doing when he, when, he, when he offered Isaac on the altar? Isn't that what happened in that whole scenario? Wasn't, wasn't Abraham saying, man, this is my son, my only son, the son that I love, the son in whom all the promises and everything I've been living for, it's all in Isaac. But God, if you want me to give him back, I'll give him back because you're better to me. Isn't, isn't that what, what, what later on here in, in Mark, Mark chapter 14, the lady who takes the alabaster flask, uh, Julie sang about that last week at our, at our 11 o'clock service, and, and basically takes her retirement fund and breaks it and pours it all over Jesus' feet to anoint him for his burial. And everybody else is like, why did she do that? That's a waste. But you know what's in her heart? In her heart is, you know what? Jesus is better. Why would a gal like Hannah, who, who was barren and couldn't have any children, why would she take her only son, Samuel, after she weaned him and devote him to the Lord? Why? Because she was able to say, God, you're better. Jesus, you're better. The Bible is full of extravagant, lavish givers. And in each one of their hearts is this loud and clear voice that says, God, you are the best thing in my life. God, you're my treasure. You're the pearl of great price. You're the treasure worth giving everything for. Did the widow need that money? Absolutely. Was she given out of her abundance like most of us do? No. I wrote my check in my office this morning and, and I almost felt a little ashamed, you know, just reading this passage because I'm thinking, you know, I, I'm given this and, and it looks really good. And I'm sure if you compared me to most American givers across the country, man, I could really pat myself. But when I look at myself here in, in view of this, I, I don't look so great. I, I'm giving out of my abundance. I'm giving and I'm still going to go to be able to go to McDonald's today and get a cheeseburger and get chicken nuggets for the kids. This gal needed that money. She was giving away her security. 
in favor of having God for her security. She's given away her comfort in favor of having God to be her comfort. She's given away her provision in favor of having God provide for her. Is this an example for us? Absolutely yes. You're saying, Pastor, come on. Are you really saying we should all give it all away? Yep. Yep. Now, I don't know how that's going to look in your life. You know what? For some of you, it may look just like this. I mean, God evidently led this lady to do it. Guys like George George Mueller prayed in breakfast every day and then gave it away. Guys like Adoniram Judson sold everything he had, got on a boat, went and gave his life on the mission field. For some of you, it'll look like this. For others of you, it's going to look differently. You're, you're, you're giving your life to, okay, Jesus, what do you want? And Jesus is going to say, I want you to pay your mortgage this week. You know? And I want you to buy food for your kids. And I want you to pay your electric bill. And, and then I want, you to, I want you to minister to your neighbor. And I want you to, to give me all your time and, and, and go to work and work hard and, and, and exalt Jesus all week long at your workplace. And, and serve in your church and, and support missions and support ministry. And, but either way, God's saying, I want, I'll, listen, I don't think God tells anybody, hey, I want 10% of you, okay? Give, give me eight, all right? You, uh, three. That's all I want. Three percent. That's all I want of you, you know? Hey, give me a nod every once in a while. I'm good with that. I don't think God says that to anybody, does he? And at the heart of how we respond, listen, at the heart of how we respond is going to be this. Do we trust him? Do we trust that he's the best thing? That he's better than anything? The Bible's full of people who, who said no. Rich young ruler said no. Ananias and Sapphira, they said, hey, we want everybody to think <laughs> that we're all in. But we're really not all in. But we think we got a way to figure this out. God said, yeah, I think I got a way to give heart attacks too, you know. <laughs> you know what, though? I think we got to finish this way. No matter how much of a giver you are. No matter how much... Let's say you give time. You know, we, we got some people in this church. I, I spoke of retired people just a minute ago in a, in, a, in a not so good way. But let me tell you, we've got some retired people in this church. That You know what they've done? They've said, Jesus, you got all of me now. What do you need? I'll take people to the doctor. I'll run a bus. I'll work in the kitchen. I'll run the sound tapes. I'll do the website. I'll go get food. Pastor, you just call. You got me. Seven, seven, to, seven to ten, Pastor, you got yeah. Hey, no matter how much you're given, let me remind you of this. Second Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. You can't outgive him. I think he took care of the widow, don't you? Show of hands here. I mean, who thinks she went home and starved? Huh? Doubt it, okay? I think, she probably, I, think, I think God probably took care of her, don't you? God's got a long history of taking care of people. You can't outgive him. He became poor that you might be rich. Church, let's, let's be real careful. Let's be careful of our hearts. 
I care what people think of me, you know? I mean, I, obviously I didn't come up here in my underwear this morning, you know? I mean, there's a certain level of that that we need to care, you know? I, I comb my hair, you know, I brush my teeth. There, there's a certain level of just loving one another, you know, that we, we want to present ourselves well. There's nothing wrong with that. But, but check your heart this morning. And, and what, what's, what's the passion of it? Is the passion of your heart this morning, I want to I exalt Jesus. I want to glorify Him. Or is it, what do people think of me? Do I look good? That's a dangerous thing for your soul. Let's pray. Father in heaven, you are glorious, God. Father, we're not. God, we're broken. Uh, But Jesus, we thank you for loving us and pursuing us. And we thank you that in Christ you've made us righteous. That in Christ you've forgiven our sins. That in Christ we can be made whole. Jesus, you have made us rich. You've given us an inheritance that is imperishable and undefiled and unfading. Jesus, you, you've blessed. And God, we, we want to be like this widow. We, God, we want to be totally convinced that you're better than anything. You're better than our stuff. You're better than, than our position. You're better than our influence. You're better than our, our reputation. Jesus, you're better. And we want you more. We want you more than all those things. And we want to be committed to you and you alone. Father, put that in our hearts. Put it in here today, Jesus. We ask it in your name. Amen.